We continue with the strange teachings of polygamous ruling all red next on polygamy. What love is this? There's always so much and so much more to talk about when it comes to the teachings in Mormonism, especially Mormon polygamy. We've had several discussions already uh, about the late polygamist Rulin Allred sermons. We also have more to discuss uh, today with more sermons that we're going to look at. And uh, the former polygamist wife from the AUB polygamy group, Karen Bradshaw, is here with to, to assist in the discussions. She sat under the teachings of this man and his successors. She knows the mental and emotional impact that these false teachings had on her. So uh, we want to welcome Karen Bradshaw again. Thanks for coming back and going through these with... Our viewers. Yeah, my pleasure. I love I love doing this. Um, someone um, will get catch him. Yeah, yeah, getting into some of the strange things that we learn growing up in a polygamy group. Uh, and we begin begin this time with one of his sermons, where he said that every kingdom has its bounds and conditions. Now, this is from a book that all of his writings are in, called "The Treasures of Knowledge," written by, uh, I guess, a scribe took him down and and put him in a book form of of his sermons. He said that every kingdom. <clears throat> yeah, they were they recorded his. They recorded them, mm -hmm. audio recordings, yes. and then transcribed and they them. Type them up. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, he said every kingdom has its bounds and conditions. Now this is true, as long as it's referring to the kingdoms of men, kingdoms of humans uh, on planet Earth. But when it's referring to heavenly celestial kingdoms, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, he got it wrong because there's only one kingdom of God. There's only one kingdom out there. There's not a lot of celestial kingdoms like they believe. And the All Red Polygamy Group or the LDS Church is not that kingdom, which I know they do believe it is. Anyway, here's the quote from mm -hmm. uh, from his yeah. sermon. Yeah, we, we believe that everything he spoke was scripture. That's mm -hmm. what we were taught. That's why they put it in a, a book and Mm -hmm. So this was scripture, and it was God's And it was true. It was word. revealed from God. Yeah. Right. Okay, so, so this is his quote. Yes. Every kingdom has a law by which it is governed. Be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, is a relative statement, because it is impossible in our mortal condition to be a per as perfect as God is. But God is perfect in his sphere, and we can, we can be perfect in ours. Now, Jesus did say, be ye perfect. That, that part of it's true. Right. But what Jesus did not say was to be sinless. He did not say to be without error or failures. He said, be ye perfect. We'll show you from the Bible what Jesus means by that and also show you that all red is wrong in his claim that we can be perfect in our sphere. First, the Bible teaches that we are all sinners. We can never reach sinless perfection. It only takes one sin to make someone a sinner. We quote first from 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then Psalms 143, 2. No one living is righteous before you. Okay, no one living is righteous, okay? And then, and then Ecclesiastes 7.20 said, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. 
and Romans 3.12. No one does good, not even one. Now, Jesus said when he was here that only God is good. It's only God's standards of righteousness and goodness that he accepts. Obviously, no one on this planet in the past, present, or future is or can be sinlessly perfect by God's standards. But that's not what all read taught. Only Jesus was perfectly righteous in thought, in word, and deed. So what did Jesus mean when he said, be ye perfect? I, I have to admit oh, that yeah, really that scrambled my out. brains. Yeah, when I, <laughs> it was stressful because I thought I had to be perfect. Right? Now, what he didn't say, what Jesus didn't say is work hard to become perfect, which is what Mormon, what religion says, work hard to be mm -hmm. perfect. Or he didn't say practice polygamy to become perfect. Jesus never did condone polygamy. He said, be perfect. Being perfect as our Father in heaven is impossible for mere humans. So what was Jesus saying? What did he mean? Well, biblical word definitions are necessary to properly understand the Bible. The biblical definition for the word perfect from Strong's Concordant is being complete in moral character, to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. It does not mean sinless perfection, despite Mormonism's teachings of perfection. The answer to be ye perfect is found in the book of Hebrews, something Mormonism has totally missed. First, obeying your religious laws cannot make you perfect. We quote from Hebrews 7:19. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And then Hebrews 10:1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it is more, or it can never by this, the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. So the law and the sacrifices can't make anybody perfect. And yet that's what they teach you to do. They teach you to become perfect by obeying the laws and the commandments. Right. Um, but not even the alleged law of polygamy can make you perfect, which is what the polygamists teach. Oh. Only in Jesus no. <laughs> can a person be perfect. He is the better hope through which we can draw near to God. And that is exactly what Jesus is meaning in Matthew 5, 48, when he said, be perfect. He didn't say become perfect. Only in Jesus can we be counted as being righteous. It's by His grace, through faith in Him alone, and this is what Ruland Allred knew nothing about. Polygamy doctrine insists on a life of striving to be better and better. If we can do 90%, they say that Jesus' sacrifice will make up the 10% we lack. Mm -hmm. But Jesus gives 100% of his perfection to all those whose faith is in him and only him for eternal life. No personal works considered. We rest in Jesus because he finished everything for us. Sinless perfection, which is impossible, becomes a huge guilt-ridden burden negatively affecting the lives of polygamous members from the cradle to the grave. Right. I've heard it from a lot of people, from my own experience as well. What Allred said next about our redemption is false teaching. It really this one really bothered me. Justice demands death as the penalty for sin. Therefore, death comes upon all men because of the violation of the law. 
Nevertheless, it was Christ's higher law wherein the demands of justice were met by a lamb without blemish. The demands of justice were satisfied, and mercy could lay claim upon those who died because of the fall of Adam. Nevertheless, we cannot be redeemed in our own sins by the atonement of Christ. We must forsake our sins, that the atonement of Christ might be efficacious in our behalf. Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what we were taught. We, we, can't, yeah. we can't have Christ's redemption without we, getting rid of our sins We didn't first. even know what grace was. No. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. He said we die because of the fall of Adam. Well, now the Bible tells us that we, we all die because we all sin. And it was Adam who brought sin into the human race. True. But we are personally responsible for our own personal sins. Secondly, Jesus said mm -hmm. sacri Jesus' sacrifice met the demands of justice. That's what already said. But that his sacrifice doesn't cover our personal sins. What kind of justice is that? Now, he said we had to forsake our sins before we can enjoy Christ's atonement. And that is not true. There's not a soul on this planet who has ever or can ever completely forsake all their sins. It's impossible. Mormon has an impossible salvation plan, as someone coined impossible gospel is what they've got. But as Hebrew says, when Jesus came, he gave us a better hope than religious law can ever give us. And here is that better hope we quote from 1 John. So, um, but if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice what cleanses us from sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That word all, what does the word all mean? All. You know? It means all. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> we need to be cleansed from all our sins, but it doesn't happen by forsaking the sins. It's the blood that Jesus shed on the, shed on the cross that washes our sins away by grace through faith. But only if you will forsake all your personal efforts to earn eternal life. Verse 9 of 1 John, the prerequisite for forgiveness is not to forsake sin, but to confess we're sinners. And that we need to, we need forgiveness. We need a savior. This confession is not to a priest or a bishop or a leader, or prophet or your husband or whoever or any other human being. Our confession is between us and God alone. First Timothy two five tells us there's one mediator between you and God, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. No one else has the power or authority and the holiness to mediate forgiveness to you from God. This example from the Gospel of Luke is a great illustration given by Jesus, the type of person that receives forgiveness. We quote from Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other, like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, 
but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The religious Pharisee is who Arulan Allred was trying to get us to be. He wasn't justified mm -hmm. despite his claims of good works, but the humbled sinner was forgiven. That means he got Christ's redemption. Next, in one of Allred's sermons, he tells a story that I had never heard before. So I don't know if it's even true. And I don't think you did ever heard that before, except yeah. for in, in within the context of the polygamy group. But since our our purpose and our topic is to dig into all Rev sermons, this gives our viewers an idea of how far out Mormon polygamy doctrine can get. Allred explains how Joseph Smith was given um, and lived the polygamy mandate long before the LDS Church itself was informed about it. He tells his listeners that there are blessings to those who obey and practice polygamy and cursings for those who reject polygamy. He talked about how the Mormon gospel was being taken to France by Mormon missionaries during the time of Napoleon Bonaparte's sovereignty. Wow. Evidently, the Mormon missionaries sent Napoleon a note asking that France be opened up to their religious teachings. Napoleon reportedly tore up the note and threw it in the fire. <laughs> According to Allred, Joseph Smith heard about this rejection, and this was his response. I want you to get all of the information you can about Josephine, the wife of the emperor, because she is a good and holy woman, interesting in well, interested in the welfare of the poor and the needy of France. When you get all this information, you can identify her for temple ordinances. I want her endowments to be done, and I want her seal to me. I want you to take the names of every noble and good woman in France who is the wife of every man who has refused your request to preach the gospel, who would receive the gospel if they had the opportunity, and who are virtuous and holy. I want you to take such holy persons clear back to Constantine's time when the Christian church became polluted by his murders and wickedness. I want you to identify them and have them all sealed to me because I want these good women, if when they get to the other side, they would rather have a husband who lived the laws of the gospel and it can exalt them. If they want to belong to me, I want to give them the chance of salvation, uh, as I want to do that because their husbands were so damnable or dam damnable mean while they were here. Wow. Oh, that's, that's like I said, I hadn't heard that he'd ever said that. I don't know if it's true or not, but he gave no reference. Allred gave no reference for this quote that, that is said and he mentions in this sermon. And I couldn't find where Joseph Smith said it, but we mentioned it because this illustrates polygamous teachings. And of course, Joseph Smith's overgrown ego. Mm -hmm. Smith allegedly said, go back as far as you can and get all the women you can, and then spiritually seal them all to him so that he can have his harem in heaven, and it'll be great. He had expanded. hundreds of women then. Can you believe it? Maybe even thousands. <laughs> a, a, well, the more wives you have, the greater the kingdom of God you've got. That's, That's what they believe. Sure. 
<laughs> According to polygamy doctrine, it is the man, the husband, that makes a woman eligible for salvation. The women must be sealed to him here so he can have them there. Now, we know that's all of, all of Mormonism teaches that. Now, on page 279, Allred said that women who wanted exaltation in Mormon heaven knew that Joseph Smith was a worthy and holy prophet, and they wanted to get to Christ as quick as they could, which is why they were asked to be sealed to Joseph Smith. I wanted to be sealed to him. A lot of people did. Oh, yeah. I really thought I could, too. I was so in love with him. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I've heard that from a lot of people. I worshipped him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I could get to Jesus through him. I mean, that's what I believe. So there's the mediatorship that, you know, they've interceded there between. Um, Mm -hmm. Allred tells about a Mormon ritual where the female is sealed to a high-ranking member of the Mormon priesthood, which helps helps her get to Christ faster. Mm -hmm. And he calls it a holy and blessed principle. Mm -hmm. Now, those who know their Bible would immediately recognize this as a false teaching. (laughs) Of course, we always go to the Bible for truth and explain what Jesus said about the concepts that Allred talks about. First, there are no marriages after this life. And here are the scriptures to back up what we say, where the Pharisees asked Jesus about a woman who was widowed seven times. They asked, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? Jesus clearly explained, there are no marriages in the next life. We quote from Matthew 22. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you, do, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they're neither marry, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Jesus knew what he was talking about. He told those folks they didn't know what they were talking about. They were wrong, and they didn't even know the scriptures. Jesus himself said there are no marriages after the resurrection. He uses the angels as an example. Angels aren't married, and they don't get married. Now, I know their their answer is, well, you have to be married here first. Right. So they don't have any marriage ceremonies there. But no, Jesus said they're like the angels. Angels aren't married ever, anywhere. Okay? Even the Mormons believe that. And when Jesus said they're like the angels, that crushes every single Mormon doctrine about eternal marriage. Okay. Now, we have a quote in Romans also, Romans chapter 7, about marriage being cut off, done with, after death in this life in Romans 7, 1 through 3. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. So there's no law of marriage that goes past this life. None at all. It's very clear through all of Scripture. Jesus himself affirmed uh, monogamy. Uh, Now, these passages should change the way that polygamists and Mormons think about Uh, eternal marriage. Can I make a quick comment? Please, please. This this really um, was interesting because he said that you're an adulteress if you live with another man while your husband is alive. And that's what Joseph did with his 11 uh, women who Mm -hmm. were 
married to other men. He was committing adultery, and so was the women. And he caused those women to commit adultery. Right. Because he said God told them to marry him. Yeah, and I hope the listeners can understand that it it is completely against God's law. But I didn't know that, Mm -hmm. you know, when I lived polygamy. No. But no. God does not want us to be married to a married man. He doesn't. Absolutely doesn't. Yeah. And that's why we're so miserable living it. That's one reason, yes, that you're so miserable living it. That's very true. Um, and yeah, what, one reason out of many. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. And it's the same for male and female alike, because God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't say it's okay for a man to have multiple sex partners, but not the woman. Uh, that right. just that He doesn't show favoritism <laughs> at all. Um, and, exactly. and since God said there's no marriages after this life, I'm going to believe God before I'm going to believe Mormonism. Because mm-hmm. God said there's not. Isn't it wonderful we can trust God? That we can trust says. Him completely, yes. Now, this Roman passage talks about the woman, the adulteress, if she marries. Although the female pronoun is being used, the male and the female are included in that statement because God doesn't show favoritism. He has the same standard of morality for males as He does for females. Now, the second point about what Joseph Smith said about sealing all these ancient women to himself, people need to know that the only sealing that is done in a biblical sense is when a believer is sealed to God by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay. I love that one. And, and, and then, then it Ephesians, goes a little bit more detail in Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, I love this one, the gospel of your salvation. That's our salvation, not polygamy. Amen. And believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. And you can <laughs> yeah, you can search the Bible, especially the New Testament, but search the Bible and you will never find any sealing that is done man to man, woman to woman, woman to man or so on like the yeah. Mormons do. I love this because it's talking about the Holy Spirit sealing us his and his. it's a guarantee uh-huh. that uh-huh. we will be with him in and, heaven. And how much can we trust God's guarantee? Yeah, we can trust it. Yeah. And you know, in, in polygamy, it was all about like being sealed to the man, your husband, as well as you had to be sealed to a, your, fa- your a father family. and a mother. Yeah. Like it was so many sealings, but it's all about the Holy Spirit sealing exactly. us his. Sealing us to God, that's right. Uh, and, and I think another thing that's interesting is um, uh, Psalm seventy three twenty five asks the question, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Mm-hmm. Who do I have in heaven but you, God? That's what he's saying. This is a rhetorical question. Only has one answer. God alone is our treasure in heaven. No eternal wives. Right. No Joseph Smith. He's that precious treasure, he's that it. pearl, yeah. a great price. He, he is it. God alone is the believer's eternal inheritance. Not a harem, not multiple wives, not your family. Hopefully we'll have friends and family there when we get there. But it's not a book. God alone <laughs> the- is the focus and he alone is our great reward. 
Now that is what people in Mormonism really need to get a grip on. We have another one from Psalms 148. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Okay, His name alone is to be exalted. Despite ruling all red sermons, Joseph Smith's name is not exalted. For the Lord's name alone is exalted. And He won't give His glory to another. He won't share it and He won't give Mm -hmm. it to another. That's true. He won't share it with another, right? Our next quote is from a sermon that Allred gave on July 27th of 1974 in Pinesdale, Montana, uh, stating how polygamists define the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God can never be established in its power except upon the basis of two foundational principles. The United Order lived in righteousness, the law of consecration, and the law of plural marriage. That sounds like three foundational principles. Christ said through Joseph Smith that Zion could not be redeemed except upon obedience to the law, uh, the celestial kingdom, to the law of celestial king, the celestial kingdom. When he made that statement, he was referring specifically to the United Order. Okay, so hmm. the United Order and the Law of Consecration are interchangeable. Yes. Okay, so that two laws are okay. uh, the the polygamy and the uh, that makes sense. United Order. So uh, he must not have read the New Testament <laughs> scriptures, which tells no. us that by no law <laughs> is anyone justified before God. Galatians two sixteen and many many other places. All of Galatians actually. And those who are under the law are under a curse. Under a curse. He said that Joseph um, that Jesus told Joseph Smith. He said that Jesus told Joseph Smith that Zion could not be redeemed except through these laws. Okay, that's what he said in his sermon. Mm -hmm. Now, we've established in previous shows that only Jerusalem is Zion, uh, and it cannot and will not be moved, it says in Psalm 125.1. But how can the united order be the means by which Zion is redeemed? Those These next verses in the Bible explain very clearly how redemption comes to anyone. We, we quote from Ephesians and then Colossians. Okay, so in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And then Colossians 1, 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay. (laughs) So redemption is how? Through his blood, not polygamy and not the united order. Yeah. Don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that there's anything you can do to earn or attain redemption, which Jesus Christ himself purchased. He suffered, bled, and died on the cross for your sins so that through him and him alone, You can receive redemption, the gift of forgiveness, and eternal life. If you try to earn it, you are ineligible. There is no place in all of Scripture where plural marriage or the united order are described as laws, nor are they commanded or listed as a help for salvation or necessary in the kingdom of God. These all are teachings of men, not the teachings of Jesus. He said this from Matthew 24. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they will lead many astray. 
in Matthew uh, 24, 11 says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. I was so led astray yeah. <laughs> by false prophets. For one more, uh, for mm -hmm. false Christ and false prophets will arise. I want the people to hear this. Um, they will arise and perform great signs and great wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Now, those are Jesus's words. He said, see to it, no one leads you astray. We care about you. That's why we do this. Right. That's why we're doing this, because we care about you. We care that you be not be deceived and be not led astray by false prophets and false teachers who tell you that polygamy and the United Order are necessary. The Jesus of Mormonism is a false Christ. The true Jesus is God Almighty, and he is not Lucifer's brother. So wow. we are out of time this time, but we have another sermon that we're going to be going through or another uh, part that we're going to go through in this time. And thank you, Karen, for coming and participating so in welcome. this. And we'll <laughs> see you next time okay. when we do the next sermon. <laughs> You know, only the perfectly righteous are allowed into heaven. The only way anyone can be perfectly righteous is to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus offers his righteousness as a gift to us, but only if and when we place our faith in him only. If our faith in him is in him plus someone or something else, we're not eligible. We're rejected. That means we need to throw out Mormonism, Joseph Smith, polygamy, good works, our own attempts to earn God's favor and throw ourselves totally and completely upon his grace, mercy and forgiveness. First Corinthians 1 tells us that Jesus is our righteousness and our redemption. Second Corinthians 5 tells us God's exchange. He takes our sin and in return gives us his righteousness by grace through faith alone. Polygamy cannot do for you what Jesus has already done. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.